0: All right, I'm going to try to keep this short because it is going to be 100, I think it's going to be like 100 degrees today. So that is uh, that is way too hot. So uh, here we go. Um, the first thing I just want to do is invite us into uh, to a prayer this morning, and uh, we're going to be praying kind of, I'm just going to open up with a, uh, a version of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, it is a... Um, You know it's slightly different, but it's a uh, paraphrase um, of the Lord's Prayer, and I just want to invite you to to pray uh, with your eyes open uh, this morning, uh, thinking of God uh, who is uh, in the kingdom of the heavens, um, and not as uh, heavens that's far away from us, but actually the heavens are the atmosphere, it's the air, it's it's where we are, Um, it's a different like sphere, it's not like it's not Earth itself, but that God is actually close to us. And near us, and he's all around us. So I want to just invite us uh, this morning to pray uh, the Lord's Prayer, uh, which is going to be a big portion of what we're going to be chatting about today. Um, And let's just uh, pray this this morning. Dear Father, always near us, may your name be treasured and loved. May your rule be completed in us. May your will be done on earth just the way it is done in heaven. Give us today the things that we need for today and forgive us our sins and impositions on you just as we forgive those who in any way offend us. Please don't put us through trials and temptations and deliver us from everything bad and evil. Because you are the one in charge, and you have all the power, and the glory, too, is all yours forever, which is just the way we want it, which is another way of saying amen. So this morning, uh, we are continuing our series on discipleship, on how how our life should look now that we are disciples of Christ, and the way that our lives are transformed because Of Jesus. So the passage today is going to be from largely from the Lord's Prayer, uh, which is found right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is like the curriculum that Jesus uses for our life as a disciple to him. It is like the way he sits and he lays out what is a life transformed like Christ look like. So I think as we talk about this, uh, this idea of discipleship and we talk about this idea of um, uh, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? I think a goal is a really good thing to have in mind. So what what's the end goal of a disciple? What is what is the end goal of a, of our lives as Christians? And the goal, uh, this is taken from a, a guy named Dallas Willard, and the goal is, is what would Jesus do if he were us? Like if he were us, right? So it's a little bit different than like what would Jesus do? Because when I always heard that, I always would be like, well, I don't live in like, you know, I don't live in like, Israel in the first century, and, you know, I have, I have a job, and I don't really, I don't really know what, what that, what I'm supposed to do with, like, what would Jesus do? Like, I don't even know if he's facing what I'm facing, but instead it's, what would Jesus do, like, if he were, uh, if he had your job, like, if he was a student in middle school right now, like, if he was a contractor, like, how would he, for my job, like, how would he be, like, a videographer, how would he do that? Like, how would he sell something to somebody? Right, and it's not so. It's it's not. It takes this whole thing of like God. It doesn't like Jesus for thirty years of his life was a carpenter, so so it means that like it's not required to be in full time ministry. This is something that's required of every single one of us, and it's something that is is something we do in our day to day life. And so I think that there's sometimes this distinction between like a disciple of Christ and a believer, and that's just something that doesn't exist in the Bible. It absolutely does not exist. It's a calling for every single one of us that we become that which we receive. We become like Christ as we receive the goodness from Christ. So in the Sermon on the Mount, we see a few different themes uh, as we lead up to kind of our main passage, which is going to be centered around forgiveness. So this idea, this theme is, and we've t- chatted about this the last two weeks as well, is this, this idea of receiving. We receive the kingdom of the heavens. We receive access to Jesus, and really, that's I believe what the blesseds right at the beginning, the beatitudes, are really all about. Are all about how there's an availability of the kingdom to each one of us, right where we're at. There's this radical, uh, radical availability of the kingdom of heavens. Blessed are the poor in spirit, and in Luke, if you look at it, it's blessed are the poor and the hungry. It's people that don't even that bring nothing to God. But yet there is an availability of the kingdom of heavens for all of us. And so there's this radical availability. And it's we receive, this availability to receive the kingdom of the heavens and the gospel, the good news. And what's interesting is then, there's, and then Jesus jumps into, uh, which is interesting because his listeners might have been like assuming, okay, well, there's this radical availability for people even like me. So does this mean that the law is abolished? Does this mean like we don't necessarily have to, to, keep, to keep the law? And remember, like a lot of his the people he's talking to are tax collectors, and he's talking to people who actually are poor spiritually and are, don't have anything that they can bring and offer to God. And so they're thinking, well, there's availability of the kingdom, so does that mean that we don't need to follow the law? But then Jesus says, no, actually, we're not, I'm not here to abolish the law. I'm here to fulfill the law. I'm actually here to show you what the law was really about. And what the law was really about is not what the scribes and Pharisees had turned the law into, which is a list of do nots, and a list of basically if I don't do these bad things, and if I kind of show off in front of people, I'm gonna be good, right? And I'm gonna I'm gonna gonna keep all these outward laws and I'm gonna be good. But Jesus goes to the Sermon on the Mount and He and He says, No, actually, what you need to change is your heart. Your heart needs to be transformed by me. And that's what the availability of the kingdom of the heavens and the availability of of the gospel of the kingdom is all about is that Jesus came to transform our hearts. Jesus came to to give us the love, the love that, 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 that is possible through him, right? The love that, as we, as we get to the end of chapter five, the love that enables us to love our enemies, just as God loves his enemies, which is what chapter five teaches. And then it says, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. And when, and when it says that, you know, I always would seem like, well, I can't be perfect. I mean. Only God. It's perfect. Like, but it's not really about that. It's actually saying live like God. Like, just like God loves his enemies and chooses to show, you know, uh, give sun and rain on the just and the unjust. Live like God. Live like God in that same way where there's the love of Christ that is able to flow through you. So, this idea of we receive, we receive Jesus' forgiveness, we receive his uh, we receive from Christ, and then we're able to allow God's love to flow through us. And love is really at the center of every single thing that we, we're going to be talking about as as disciples. And so last week, we ta- two weeks ago, we talked about unity, right? And Jesus and the Father, they demonstrate and show incredible unity. And, and, and remember in, uh, uh, in John 17, right, Jesus is praying that we would be unified just as he and the Father is unified. And so we receive the unity from God, and then we're able to live it out. Right? We're able to actually allow his unity to flow through us. And then last week we talked about generosity, right? And it's we receive his generosity that he's lavished on us, and we realize how rich we are because of Christ, and then we're able to live generously. We're, not able, to, we're able to live not from a place of scarcity, like we need to keep everything, but out of an abundance, right? And so, and so that is... That's such a core idea that we receive from Jesus and then we're able to give that which we receive. So our generosity and our unity is not from ourselves. It's not from something that we will ourselves to have, which is a lot more what the scribes and Pharisees would have been saying. It's like It's We are going to show how good we are by willing ourselves to unity and to generosity and therefore we're going to earn our salvation. It's not about earning. No, it's absolutely not about earning but it is about transformation. It is about transformation and becoming like Christ, learning to live how Jesus would live if he were you. So this leads us into really um, the focus of our sermon uh, today, which is, which is forgiveness. And so right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we see Matthew 6. And Matthew 6 uh, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who is in secret, will reward you. So, as you kind of see, there's a little bit of a summation of some of the stuff that we've been talking about, right? It's about doing, it's about transformation of the heart lived out before an audience of one, before God, not about outward actions lived out before other people. And we also have to realize that this isn't a law, these are illustrations of what the heart transforms look like. And sometimes we try to turn the Sermon on the, on the Mount into like a list of do's and don'ts. So like, for example, when it says don't pray in public, does that mean that when we pray up here every, like, every week that that's a sin? No, it doesn't mean that. It means that if we're praying for the purpose of being heard by the people around us and for the purpose of the reward and praise we get from that, our heart, our motivations are wrong. And so actually what we need to do is learn how to dig deeper and not just turn it into a list of, okay, if I don't pray in public, I'm good. Right, it's it's much deeper than that. Jesus is trying to get at is using an illustration to get at a deeper truth. That how are you living your life? Are you living it for me and before me alone, or are you living it for others, and for your own pride before other people? So this all leads into this place of humility that we need to live out before God in an audience of one, and then he goes right into the Lord's prayer. He teaches us how to pray. So when you pray. You must not be like the hypocrites, right? And this is just what we are shouting about. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for the father knows what you need before you ask him Pray then like this, right? It's just what we have been talking about. It is who we are praying to and what and why are we being heard. We're being heard because we're praying in truth to our Lord in secret. We're praying from our hearts to our God. And so this goes into a prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread forgive our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Dallas Willard actually calls this prayer the gateway to the praying life. There's so much richness in this prayer when you really just... Think about each piece. And it's actually a series of, of like seven requests. Some people think about prayer as like you can't really be asking for, don't ask God for much, you know. Try, try not to be very selfish in your prayers, right. Try to think, but, but these, most of these things are talking to God about the things you and God are doing together, right. It's, it's asking, inviting God into your daily life and walking with him in your daily life. And it's very practical, the vast majority of these things are practical, praying to God about today. So it's actually a, a series of seven requests from God. And I'm going to pray it again, and this is, this is actually a translation by Willard, uh, and it's the one we, we prayed at the morning. But I want to read this part again just because I think it's good for us to hear it in new language because it's something that we've heard so much, like the, the Lord's Prayer for many of us. And so I think it's good to, to hear it in, a, in, in kind of a, a simpler language. Dear Father, always near us, may your name be treasured and loved. May your rule be completed in us. May your will be done on earth in just the way it is done in heaven. Give us today the things we need for today and forgive us our sins and impositions on you as we are forgiving all who in any way offend us. Please don't put us through trials and deliver us from everything bad because you are the one in charge and you have all the power and the glory too is all yours forever, which is just the way we want it. It's a prayer of seven simple requests before God that come out of a heart that is praying to God. But right at the center, and we could I, obviously you could spend an entire sermon series going through each of the requests, going through each of these things on the Lord's Prayer and how deep it is. But today we're going to focus on right at the center of this prayer, there is a request about forgiving our sins, right? As, and forgive us our sins and impositions on you, as we are forgiving in any way who offend us. And then that point is reiterated in the next verse where it says, "For if you, this is after the prayer, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This part of the prayer is, I definitely think, the hardest part of the prayer. I feel like every time... I, I would pray this, a lot of times when I pray this prayer, I always kind of get stuck here, right? It's like, well, so you're saying that if I don't forgive, I'm not forgiven. It's like a dependency of like being forgiven is as I forgive. And it's uncomfortable. And also, he doesn't let us get around it. Because in the very next verse, he reiterates the same point. And he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. For if you do not, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. In other words, the forgiven forgive. And it is like a truism. It is true. Forgiving is a sign that you've been forgiven. It's a sign or fruit of the fact that you've been forgiven. Discipleship with God, and this is something we were talking about earlier, discipleship with God is, like a, is a two-way street. When we are loved by God, our love we learn to love others and God. Our, his love flows back through us, back up to God and out to others. Right? It's, it's never something that we just receive. It's always something that, if it is truly received, transforms and flows out from us. This is true of unity, this is true of generosity, but it's most clearly taught about forgiveness. It is like impossible to get around or to try to talk your way out of it. Well, like actually you don't know how much this person hurt me. So I think for the most of the part, like most times, this is definitely a truth, right? I would say that 99% of the times it's okay, like I, I can forgive. But when it comes to like, when it comes to like that person or that parent. Like, you didn't grow up in that household. like You don't know what that person did to me. How dare you tell me that I should forgive? But yet we see Christ forgiving the people who are putting him to death as he is crucified. And we say, as, as Christ forgives, and as Christ has forgiven us, so we forgive. So if it wasn't clear enough, if we go back, if we go into Matthew 18, it's even clearer. And then Peter came up and said to him, and I feel like this is probably because Peter has heard, been with Jesus for a while, and there's actually a pretty common teaching around this time that the the Jews uh, around that time would say, you know, we don't want to let people, like, we don't want to enable people. So, um, you know, about seven times is about a good number to forgive someone, and then you kind of got to cut them off, right? Right. But I feel like uh, Peter is probably kind of, he's been with Jesus for a while, and he probably is assuming, you know, maybe Jesus doesn't agree with this common teaching. But, you know, I should definitely ask him. So, so Peter is coming up, and he says to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And how, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him, as many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And in other translations, it says seven times 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, which is a lot, a lot of money. It's a ton, ton of money. And since he could not pay, his master ordered that he would be sold into slavery with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made, right? He was going to sell his whole family in order to get the debt from him being sold into slavery. So the servant fell on his knees and implored him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, and we always think that's a bad word, pity, but it's out of pity for him that the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his servants who owed him 100 denarii. Right And in comparison to the 10,000 talents, that was just a few dollars. It was so little in comparison. Right? And, he, and, he, and he found this person, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe. So the fellow servant fell down and pleaded with me, have patience with me, and I will pay you. And he refused, and he went, and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went out and reported to their master, all that had taken place. And his master summoned it and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in his anger, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all the debt. And so also will my heavenly father will do to you, every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You can't explain this away. You cannot get out of it. Forgiveness is a sign and a testament to being truly forgiven. But how do we do it? <laughs> so how do we forgive? Like you can't get it, That parable is so like it's so clear, like, and, and what Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount are so clear. The forgiven forgive. It is a sign or fruit of forgiveness. It is a sign or fruit that we have been forgiven. And it's a way in which we are being transformed. So we must forgive or at least be in the process of forgiving. Be working towards forgiving, right? Because it is a process. Everyone from the heart, those who offend us or in any way wrong us, because we have been forgiven. Being forgiven, but being forgiven is where it starts. And it's where we learn from Jesus how to forgive others. So we see this in Ephesians. As Paul is working out what does it mean to be a follower of Christ, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, but let, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Our forgiveness of others flows from our experience of our forgiveness from Christ. The forgiven forgive. So I'm going to go through four points of now, now then, now what, right? How do we forgive? What's, how do we live this life? So the first thing we do, and I'm going to go into all these in more detail, but the first thing we do is we rest in and experience our forgiveness. Second thing is we learn what forgiveness is and what it is not. Because that's really important, like to actually know what forgiveness is. Third is forgive others by releasing them, and we actually have to get to it, forgive others by releasing them from any claim you have on them. And then the last point, which is not necessarily quite as much forgiveness, but it's a necessary part of the process of forgiveness, is being honest and working through the pain of the hurt that you've experienced with God and with others. You have to still deal with the hurt and the pain. Forgiveness doesn't get rid of that. Forgiveness is not, is not, is not saying that that pain doesn't exist or that hurt isn't real, and you have to, to work through that with God and with others. So the first part is experiencing and resting in our forgiveness. All right. Well, it's a really hot day, so I, I need to, I need to pick this up. All right. Um, so experiencing <laughs> and resting in our forgiveness. Uh, I think one of the best passages. Uh, talk, there's, there's really three reasons why people don't experience forgiveness. And I think these, are, these, these three reasons uh, apply to most people. So first one is they don't think they need it. Like, I don't think I need forgiveness. It's, I'm better than you. And I think there's a lot of people like, who, who find it difficult to forgive and me among them who just can't see, like, I, I wouldn't do what that person did. Right, and I'm better than that person. And that is true of our relationship with God. We can't accept God's forgiveness Because we don't think we need it, right? We think we are good enough. The second reason is we don't think we're good enough for God's forgiveness, right? We still think we're earning God's forgiveness and we won't accept someone's charity. I'm gonna work for what I get, right? And that's actually, the first one's pride and the second one is also pride from a different perspective. It's more like false humility, right? It's like, I'm so bad that I could never receive it, but you're still trying to earn it on your own. And you have to lay it down and accept it. And the third part is you have forgotten, you've just forgotten what the measure of the forgiveness you received was, like what forgiveness has been. And so let's delve into 1 John 1, 5 through 10, which really addresses most of these things. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you that God is light in Him and there is no darkness as, at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So in verses seven and eight, talks about you can't say you don't lie. Like, you can't say there's no sin in you and be forgiven because you are a liar if you're saying there's no sin in you. You have to humble yourself. You have to realize that you owed God a million dollars, that you owed God something you could never pay back and required you and your family to be sold into slavery to pay for it. You have to realize the debt that God had to take pity on you, that God looked and he took pity on you, and he said, I feel sorry for you, but I also love you, and I have mercy on you. Sometimes mercy is like a sanitized word. Like it's like it's lost some of its meaning, but pity. Like I don't really like taking pity, but it's what I need. I need God's pity. I need his mercy, as it says in, in Matthew 18, that God took pity on him. The master took pity on his servant and forgive him. We need the mercy and the pity of God because we could never earn anything we could never earn we could never be free we could never be set free from the bondage to sin and we could never live with god without his mercy which he has given to us freely and we don't deserve at all we have to look honestly at our selfishness at our self righteousness at our sin at our wickedness and we have to say that we don't deserve anything we deserve nothing before god and everything is a gift, and if we do that, and if we walk honestly with God, and with other people, He forgives freely. He forgives freely if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the second thing is, we have to accept that our sin is forgivable, and that we can't try to earn it through like us not being good enough. You know, I think for me personally, this is something that I have struggled with um, as well, just um, there are particular sins. uh, I think there's habitual sins that, um, these ones in particular, when you fall again and again, you're like, how could God forgive me? Because I've, even as I repent, I'm still walking in this sin. And those, I think, are the hardest to accept God's forgiveness for, that, that I don't see you as that sin. I see you as my child. I see you as redeemed. And when I look at you, I look at the righteousness of God, and I see you as who I've made you to be. And I'm walking with you in this sin towards righteousness and in complete forgiveness. I think honestly, one of the best ways we understand God's forgiveness, and one of the best ways I've ever received God's forgiveness is from my wife, right? Is when you know that you don't deserve it, and you know that this has been, when you know that everything in your life doesn't deserve it, and you come to your wife and you say, You know, I am sorry. I'm broken. And when you see the forgiveness and grace, I think it's one of the most incredible ways that we experience God's grace and God's forgiveness is when we experience it from other people. When we know that it doesn't innocent deserved, when we know that it's it's something that we've done again, and yet there is grace given, and there is love given, and there's relationship to be healed. I think that when you look in that person's eyes you can understand the grace and the measure just a bit of what God has done for us and that God is looking at us the same way and he's called us holy and he's called us just and he has called us his children and a part of his family. And so we accept who we are and then we accept our new identity in Christ that we are not that sin but we are child of God and there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which is the best verse ever. I mean, all verses are great, but that is a personal favorite, is that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, that we are defined as children of God. We are heirs with Christ. And then we soak in his goodness, we soak in his love, we contemplate all the ways that Jesus has forgiven us and all the ways that shows that he loves us and all the ways that he doesn't just put up with us. He likes us and he loves us and he's our friend with us. He sees those no more. And some verse, here's some verses to soak in. First John 1, 9, right? If, he, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. Another verse to soak in is Psalms 103, verses 8 through uh, set, uh, 14, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquity. As far as the heavens are above the earth, great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion on his children, So the Lord shows compassion on those who fear him for he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. Sit. Soak in the love of God. Contemplate the love and forgiveness of God. All the ways you don't deserve it and all the ways it has been lavished on you nonetheless that you are a child of God and that God knows you, and he loves you, and he forgives you. Because it's only out of that place, it's only out of that sphere, it's only as we receive God's love that can his love, can his love, not our love, his love flow through us as we forgive other people. So what does it mean to forgive? How do we learn to forgive? Well, we learn from Christ, right? We learn from Christ. We learn from how how much we've been forgiven, then we can forgive people who owe us three pennies in comparison to what he has forgiven us. And we realize that it's the only way to live life. Like that we, that, that, that's the only way we can have interpersonal relationships at all is to have all of our relationships based on pity and forgiveness. Like we all need it all the time. Like we're always, we're always not what we should be, we're always headed in a direction. We're always failing. We're always selfish. And we all need forgiveness. We always need it. And if we don't live in forgiveness of each other, community is impossible, friendship is impossible, and our relationship with God is impossible. So we, live that that's, that we realize that's how we have to live in order to have full and free lives. And we learn from Jesus. We look at his example of him on the cross as the, he, he, he forgives those who are crucifying him, and we realize that 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 includes us, right? That we and our sin crucified him, and yet he forgives those who were nailing the nails into his hands and us for the reason he was there. We remind ourselves through the Lord's prayer, right? That's one of the reasons why it's the basis for the prayer is because as we pray that, It's kind of a reminder, too. It's like we have been forgiven of so much, and we also need God's help as we forgive other people. So what does it mean to forgive? I think it's really important to know what it's not, because I think, I'm going to give you kind of a definition. Here's a definition of forgiveness. It's from a guy named Dr. Gary Bershear. Uh, He teaches up in Portland, actually. Um, And I think it's a pretty good definition, it's not perfect, but I think it's a really good definition. It is the personal act to release one who sinned against me for my personal right to collect on the moral debt, to pay him or her back for his or her offense. Instead of, instead of giving back the pain that they gave me, I absorb the pain into myself with God's help. That last part uh, is kind of confusing to me, but I think what it means is that we heal from the pain by going through the pain with God by ourselves, right? We're not seeing our response to the pain as needing to inflict the pain back on that person. So here's what it's not. Here's what forgiveness is not. It's not forgetting. In a human perspective, from a human standpoint, it is not forgetting. Sometimes there is a lessening of remembering that happens over time when there's reconciliation, right? Sometimes you can feel those remembrances fade because you're not playing them out in your head right? So there is a way in which there's not a bitterness. There's not a bitterness, um, which is a form of remembering that it's unhealthy and wrong. But you will still probably remember, especially when it's deep hurt, you're going to remember that hurt. It is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. It is primarily a choice. It doesn't mean that we excuse actions. It doesn't mean that we approve of their actions or their sins. It means we can still hate the sin that they committed against us, but we don't hate the person. We love the person who carried it out. We work towards peace and reconciliation, but this is probably the most important thing. Forgiveness does not equal reconciliation. Forgiveness does not equal reconciliation. If you look in Matthew 18... So right after, right, that whole thing we went through about the the parable of the servants, right before that whole passage, there's this whole list about how we confront someone who has sinned against us, right? And it says, you go to them with one person, right? You bring their sin to them with one person. And then if they don't listen to you, you bring another person, right? And then if they don't repent, you don't necessarily have anything more to do with them, right? So there's this acknowledgement that the reconciliation is the goal, but it's not necessarily possible. If you look at Romans, right, it says, if it, Romans, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Meaning, it's not possible in every situation to live at peace with everyone. Like, it is, as far as it, as much as it's up to you, do what you can do. But it's not always possible. And that means that there's people in your life who are completely toxic. And if there's people in your life who are, who are, who are absolutely unrepentant, you might have to cut that person out of your life. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you haven't forgiven them. It's just uh, it's a necessity to live healthily for yourself. It is rarely a one-time event. And it doesn't mean that the hurt they've caused is erased. And it doesn't prevent the just consequences of their actions by law or by nature or by the state, right? There are some things, natural consequences, that might have to be carried out because of their sin and that you're forgiving them doesn't mean that that's not going to be carried out, right? Because honestly, God often uses natural consequences to help bring them to repentance and to help teach them. But what does it mean? So the first part is to release the other, right? It's releasing the other. It is the personal act to release the one who sinned against me for my personal right to collect on the moral debt to pay him or her back for his or her offense, Uh, There's a person uh, uh, who teaches up in uh, Portland. Her name is Bethany Allen, and she says, it's it's returning to God the right to take care of justice. We give God the reins, and we believe that he is going to defend me. Right, Vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. We release to God our, by nature, right to to vengeance. We release that to God. We determine to do what is good rather than what is evil. We, re, we, we determine to repay evil with good. And I want to be careful how I say this. Um, Martin Luther King Jr., he has one of his six principles of nonviolence. And um, he, he said that nonviolence seeks to defeat injustice, not people. Right? Nonviolence recognizes that the evildoers are also victims. And, and I want to say this to you. Like, they are responsible for the actions That they are doing, we are all responsible for sin, but we are also all living under the curse, and there is a real way in which the sin itself is is the problem, and there there really is like a way in which we can have compassion on the people who are doing these evil things because of their bondage to sin, and we realize that that's and it's again another way of we hate the sin, we hate what they did, but but we have to love them. And we realize, what, what is Christ's attitude towards them? So forgiveness is something that is given. It is not earned. They are not worthy. <laughs> They're not worthy of forgiveness. Practical moment of release. It is a practical moment of release. It is a moment of love, and it's a moment that we extend peace to the offender. We extend as far as much as it is impossible to us, we extend a moment of peace. To the offender. We cancel the debt, right? We let go of bitterness and contempt, and we release from them our claim of vengeance, anger, and contempt. Ang- um, anger, right? You can be angry and not sin, but as soon as anger, and it is right to be angry with actual sin and with actual like evil and injustice, but as soon as that works its way into contempt and bitterness and rage against a person, then you know that it's gone too far. Right? Then you know that it's eating away your soul, and then you will find that unforgiveness, that while forgiveness is really hard, (laughs) unforgiveness in the long run is much harder. Unforgiveness eats away our soul much worse than forgiveness does. Right? You've probably heard of the... um, it's, like it's on tattoos and stuff. <laughs> uh, to forgive is to set a prisoner free, and then you discover that, that prisoner was you, right? And it's true. It's really true that, that when we actually step into forgiveness, we realize that we are set free, that we're set free from this bitterness, from this rage, from this anger, and really from something that has blocked our relationship with God and with other people. In Hebrews it says see to it that no one falls fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble that it may that that many become defiled it's that root of bitterness it's that 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 contempt that is sunk into your soul through unforgiveness So we release the other person we realize that it's not the same as reconciliation we do what we can but that doesn't mean that the pain and the hurt is gone. It means that we have to learn to deal with the pain, not try to repay pain with pain. It's letting go of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and it's saying, I have to work through this with God. I have to work through this with others and with God. I have to walk in the light with others. Instead of giving them back the pain they gave me, I absorb the pain into myself with God's help. We do not deny the pain, anger, or hurt. We don't stuff it in. We don't bottle it up. But we don't also allow ourselves to act in rage and in revenge. We be angry and we do not sin. We go to God. We go to the community of believers and we're honest with them. We're honest with them about how we feel. We're honest with them with our imperfections. We're honest with them about how we are still angry about how we are still bitter, and we work through it with God. But that's different than going to the person right, and inflicting pain on them, whether that's, whether that's passive-aggressive, whether that's aggressive-aggressive. <laughs> we go to God, and we go to other people, and we work through it together in fellowship with God and with other people. We are honest with God and with ourselves about how we're feeling, we realize that feelings in and of themselves are not bad. The feelings are not necessarily sins. And even if they are sins, you still need to work through them. <laughs> you still need to be honest with them because if there's no honesty, if you don't work through your pain, and anyone who's experienced real trauma and real pain like knows it's true, knows you have to deal with it, you have to work through it, and it takes years at times, and it takes a lifetime. And sometimes the pain and the hurt never go away, but we work through it with God and we realize that even if that pain is still there we're still forgiven we're still loved and it's okay and we can still forgive those people in our lives and we can still release them from our claim that we have from them and then we pray <laughs> and we keep praying and we and we talk to god and we talk to god about the things that god and that we, we me and god are doing together right and we and we and we and we live in the lord's prayer and we and we ask him for the things that we need for today. We ask him that he would help us to forgive other people and we thank him for the forgiveness that he gives us. So what do we do? Like what do we do? I think it starts with resting in and experiencing the forgiveness of Jesus, right? We go back to the cross. We remember, we sit, we soak And if there's one application that I want you to do, it's that. It's we receive, because we can't give that which we haven't received. And then we forgive others by releasing them from any claim that we have on them. And then we be honest, and we work through our own pain and our own hurt that has been caused by others, realizing that it has been caused by others, with Jesus and the community of believers. It's living in the light. It's living with God. And it's realizing that it is possible with Christ. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. We forgive as we have been forgiven. The forgiven forgive. God, I want to thank you so much for your grace. I want to thank you so much for God, the ways in which you have forgiven me. God, I know that there's so many ways in which there's still hurt and there's still, there's still pain. God, that many of us are going through, whether it's being, but whether it's hurt we've experienced from our families, um, I think so often people closest to us hurt us the most. God, and, um, or whether it's hurt, God, that we've experienced by other people. God, I pray, Lord, and we recognize, God, that that pain may not go away overnight. That pain may last for a long time, but God, I pray that you would help us to understand how much you've forgiven us, and that would allow us to release and to work towards releasing those who have sinned against us. And I pray, God, that you would come and comfort us, that you would come and work with us in this process. And, God, that you would work with us to heal us from the pain, to heal us from the hurt, to heal us from the effects of sin in our world. And, God, we pray that your rule would be completed in us, that you would make us like you, that we would live our lives like you would live them if if we were you. If you were us, I mean, if you were us. God, I thank you so much for uh, your incredible blessings and just for the person and work of Christ. In Jesus' precious name, amen.